From Like to Know It, this is Influencer Radio, a show about the influencer industry. This season, we sit down with some of the world's most successful influencers to unpack their unique life adventures and the digital businesses they built. I'm your host, Amber Vinsbox. Today, we're speaking with Jamie O'Banion, the founder of hypergrowth beauty company, Beauty Bio, and mastermind behind the Glow Pro, an at-home microneedling tool with an elevated design that is every bit as beautiful as it is effective. The Glow Pro was such a hit, it drove over $4 million in sales in its first 24 hours after launch. Jamie, a former Miss Texas winner and model, had a love for science at a young age and saw a need in the market to provide truth and beauty. Her family-owned business sits atop the massive multi-hundred billion dollar beauty industry. As one of the fastest growing skincare companies in the country, we are so excited to learn more about the secrets to her success. And Jamie, I'm so thrilled to have you with us here today. You know, your rise to beauty and just really industry is very unique to so many of the influencers that we're getting to speak with. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So a young girl interested in science. Tell me a little bit about your your background. I know. I was one of those STEM-focused crazies. You know, it's really interesting because I think oftentimes in life, your career, your passion finds you instead of the other way around. And I very much feel that this came to me as something that was important to do. Having grown up in the industry of beauty, my father's a physician and he became an owner of one of the top labs in the United States that makes for all of the big four and plastic surgeons, dermatologists and so forth, some finished goods, some raw materials. And he started taking me at a really young age out to the lab and being a really curious kid who loved chemistry and chemistry sets and making goop in the bathtub. I would ask a million questions. Why Why this with that? Why can't we do this? And for me, it was like baking, which I also love to do. I'm not a great cook, but I, I do love to bake and the chemistry of that. So from a very young age, it was so magical to me to see how, wow, you can put this ingredient on someone's skin and it changes it. Your skin is the largest organ in your body. So it was one of those things where as I became more involved in the business, I fell more and more in love with the idea of being able to push things further and be able to take these clinical grade or only once clinical grade uh, ingredients and methodologies and bring them through this sort of process of democratization, if you will, into our hands. And that really is rooted in my faith in the consumer. I think that we are bright, we are hungry for authenticity and things that we can do at home. And no longer does she want to have this sort of dream in a bottle experience that we've always digested historically. She wants to know more, whether it's food that she's consuming or something that she's topically consuming on her skin, that's really important. So my big moment of, wow, I need to be doing something broader came when I was working on a new raw material for a client. And uh, in our spec sheet, we knew that that raw needed to be in at 3%. And when we passed off um, all of the R&D behind it, everything buttoned up in this dossier, uh, they go to market. I checked the formula later just to see where they netted out since we just supplied the one really key active ingredient and found that instead of being in at 3%, it was in at 1.5%. And it made me really mad. And I thought, why do I care so much about this? And I felt in that moment someone has to say something, someone has to do something. And that's when Beauty Bio really was formed. And it was interesting because first it was more a passion project for me. What do I want to put on my skin? And then it was like me and my five friends and then five friends became 10 friends and then it grew. And uh, from there, I have still with every new launch, every new account, every country we've expanded into 
go back to three words that are in neon above our conference room glass board, and they are truth and beauty. So for me, I feel lucky to get to be this sort of Rosetta Stone in a very crowded um, industry to hopefully provide to someone, whether they use our line or not, hey, you should be using vitamin C every day, vitamin A, which is retinol at night, and stimulating the skin via Glow Pro, in my opinion, at least three times a week. That's the, the Glow recipe. So, I mean, with all the things that you just told me, it's super science heavy and you obviously know your stuff and are super, super passionate about it. And, you know, even as a parent, I'm like, what do you do that your child, you know, turns out this way and has such passion, but also such interest in science and, and just this drive for entrepreneurship. So I want to hear a little bit about like just your youth and growing up, like what was your household like? Yeah. Great question. So I think we tend to model what we see in life, right? Whether it's a parent, a friend, a mentor, there's someone that at some young age, you say, wow, I I want that to be me, right? And for me, I have always had a really close relationship with both of my parents, but had a really special admiration for my father in particular with regards to work. He's someone that one of the brightest humans I know. And uh, he worked his way through medical school, paid for everything on his own, worked three different jobs to do that. And then after he um, finished medical school, started in his residency, he was constantly moonlighting in addition to his normal day job and um, was someone that constantly was giving and working for his family. And I really admired that even his segue from the physician side to the biochemistry side. And he's now really focused on this incredible new breakthrough for diabetes. He's just very focused on wellness and even at an age where he could probably be retired now. And so for me, watching him work like he did when my parents got married, I think they had $100 between them and an old yellow truck with a hole in the floorboard and started with nothing. And he's built this incredible business and empire himself on the R&D side. And I saw hard work modeled for me as a child. So that was very much ingrained as an expectation. And then I remember when I was seven years old, I, I live in Dallas, and I heard about this all-girls school, Hockaday, that was supposed to be this really you know great school. And looking back, it's funny. My son's at St. Mark's, and I'm like, I can't see him coming to me saying, hey, can you apply me for this? So I did. I said, you know, I was this little seven-year-old girl. I'm like, I'd love to go to this school. So, um, you know, gratefully was accepted. And that very much embedded this sort of STEM focus for me. It's a great, well-rounded education, but it was something that there was this undertone of, you're going to go out and do great things. So I think the combination of going to school in an environment day-to-day where there was this expectation male, female, regardless, you will go out and do great things. Not if, it's what are you going to do? Combined with having a very entrepreneurial, hardworking mother and father and seeing that modeled, it was never a question in my mind. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I hope that my kids are absorbing some of that. So are you the oldest child? Are there siblings? Yeah, there's, it's like the Brady Bunch. We actually have six kids, um, three boys and three girls. And I'm the oldest girl. They are in that order. And my oldest brother is handicapped. He has hydrocephalus and cerebral palsy, so he can't see, can't walk. He is 43, just turned 43. He's the oldest of the bunch. And he is the greatest blessing to our family. And I think having this daily reminder with Garrett of how lucky I am 
to get to do very basic things like send an email. So instead of lamenting having to get on another flight or go to, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I think having a sibling with special needs is one of the greatest blessings in the family because we learn so much more from him than he could ever learn from us. And seeing how your family pulls together in a situation like that is, is really special. So I think that had a big impact too. So all of your siblings, are they all super passionate, super driven the way that you are? What kind of careers did they end up exploring? All over the map, but also very passionate, very entrepreneurial. So um, I have a brother who's um, built a tremendous business in digital marketing, so PPC, SEO, and so forth. I have another brother who's um, got into agriculture, this kind of entrepreneurial um, property that he's exploded and and and. You know, we, didn't, you guys we didn't grow up as farmers. Texas? We grew up in Dallas, but he bought some property further north and um, it's awesome. And it's so fun to see him learn that. And um, then I have another sister who's an RD. And so she's uh, developed this really neat platform so everyone can have a registered RD at home, right? And oh, so wow. I, now that I, I mean, saying it out loud, I hadn't really thought of it, but I think everyone is totally comfortable taking risks. And it's interesting because as an entrepreneur, I think people on the surface might look at you as one of the most risky personalities, right? Someone that is willing to throw it all in in Vegas and go. But ironically, I think, and I've observed the most successful entrepreneurs to be quite risk averse. And it's very much a measured risk, a calculated risk of, I have a high level of confidence, whether it's in yourself, the model, whatever it might be that we can make this happen. And then from there, it's execution with lots of backup plans, right? It's like jumping off the cliff, build the airplane on the way down, but also have 18 parachutes and a trampoline at the bottom and a safety net. And it makes for a way to move forward without any anxiety, knowing that, okay, if this you know door closes here, no problem. I have B, C, and D ready to roll. So did you go to Hawkeye all the way through? I didn't. We moved to Arizona um, when I was in high school. My parents separated and ended up working things out, which is so fantastic. It's a total blessing. And I'm so grateful for that experience. So because going from a really prestigious, somewhat rigid, perhaps all-girl environment where I would say academically much more rigorous than, than the school that I then went to when I moved, but I had the greatest academic education in EQ moving to a public school environment uh, that was so helpful for me. Because at the end of the day, when you're building a brand, a business, being successful, just engaging in life with people, it's a combination of the IQ, what's right on paper to move forward, but the EQ, being able to connect, motivate, and help meet people where they're at. And it's always a, uh, everyone you deal with, trying to understand, okay, Everyone has a different level of bandwidth, a different way that they learn, that they want to be communicated with. And that is part of the EQ that is, in my opinion, probably even more important after a certain waterline of intellect uh, to, to really grasp and understand. And for listeners that aren't as familiar with EQ, it's really about emotional intelligence. And so there's tons of books and podcasts and things that you can listen to about EQ. And once you start unpacking that and discovering more about the way that you engage with and interpret people and then in turn communicate back with them and the different communication styles and motivators of people, um, it really has been said that it's a greater predictor of success than actual IQ, which so is something true. that I, you know, I think as part of your journey was a real building block, it sounds like, because 
being in a homogeneous environment of really high achievers mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a really clear focus on a successful outcome versus being put in a school that that maybe is um, you know it's a it's a public school maybe it has less focus or less homogeneous. Mm-hmm. Um, you were then exposed to different types of people and probably learned how to deal with with them and also to understand what other parts of the world look like. Yeah, and it was interesting because it was the first time I had to I had this major wake up call, and this is something that's really important to me that I hope we can really change the dialogue about. Is I remember going from an environment in Hockaday where it was cool to be smart, it was cool to get a hundred and to know the answer. And going to an environment where all of a sudden it wasn't cool to raise your hand and it wasn't cool to know everything. And that was very strange for me. And I had to navigate and understand, okay, what does this, what does this look like? And what is safe or not safe in this environment? And I do hope that if anything, uh, being a female entrepreneur and someone that has without really a mentor or a roadmap or someone to kind of lay the path before you, um, I hope that that's an area that we can make it okay to be smart, but also wear a dress. And we have something that we joke about in the office that we only hire babes with brains, (laughs) babes with brains. (laughs) And I think it's great. I think it's great to be able to carry yourself in a way that we remember that you can still be powerful and feminine at the same time. And you obviously have had, you know, great training even in growing up. I say obviously, I guess I just, I know from, from speaking with you, but, um, you know, in the Miss Texas opportunity and, you know, I've had peers that have worked through those programs before and they're very serious programs and you, you actually are really well trained about how to present yourself publicly. I want to hear a little bit more about oh that gosh, experience. That is one of those laugh out loud So this was something that someone had, a friend of mine, I had no idea had submitted my name to be in this pageant, for real. And all of a sudden I got this letter in the mail with these dates and this whole thing, and I was not going to do it. I thought it was a joke. I found out later who submitted it, which she was trying to be sweet because she's like, oh, you should do this. Ironically, my boyfriend at the time, his mother was the former first runner-up for uh, Miss America or Miss USA, one of these. So I was talking about it. She's like, no, 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 you should do it. You should totally do it. And then it was one of those like peer pressured, you know, into yeah. it. So it was like a week long thing and there's multiple days and, you know, there's a part where you're answering questions. And then this, I think, you know, I have my own thoughts on that, that whole world. But when it was probably day three and I remember driving over and thinking, why in the world am I doing this? This is so ridiculous. This is not even me. And I wanted to quit. And I have this really weird addiction to not ever quitting. I don't know if it's growing up with three older brothers and being, you know, probably like, you cannot tell me, no, I am going to try. Even if I totally flop, I, I'm at least going to try. And then when that popped into my brain of, oh, are you quitting? No, I'm not a quitter. So that I'm at least going to finish this thing. So they were announcing the winners. And I remember they announced first with the fourth runner up. And then I remember thinking, oh, wouldn't that be neat? You know, if I, I'd never, all these girls have trained for years. I'd never done anything like this. Like they had coaches and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool if I got fourth runner up, maybe like tell my kids or grandkids down the road. And, and then when they announced my name, I just couldn't believe it. And it ended up being a really incredible experience because you are required to do a lot of public speaking. And uh, my partner was Scottish Rite Hospital and got to meet some of the neatest kiddos that were going through some, some tough things. And again, back to my brother and his situation, I felt like it was a little way 
to give back. And I think if you look at it through the lens of a platform that can do great things, I think it's fantastic. I think if it is viewed as a, you know, something that's more superficial or that's how someone's approaching it, then probably not as big of an advocate from, from that perspective, but it was a great experience. So you've had this really rich education and then now an, an experience that has put you in a public position at a very young age and the training that you gained from that. And, the, and like you said, those, you know, whether you'd put your children in the same seat, sounds like maybe, maybe not. But having those experiences at such a young age, it sounds like helped to really kind of train you and prepare you for the public life you'd have going forward. When did you also just kind of start working? Like, what was your first job? Um, my first job was a modeling job that came to me and I was still you know, you're in 17, 18, and all of a sudden, you know, you have a day rate of a couple thousand dollars. And when you're 17, that's amazing, you know, and it's still amazing. That's still, it's still amazing. And, um, it was really interesting because, uh, not that modeling isn't, isn't challenging, it has its own pieces and you have clients and you have to make sure that you're getting what they want and, um, and capturing, you know, their brand moment. Uh, but for me, it wasn't quite as, fully stimulating is what I would have loved. So I started working, I would bring, you know, most people would bring like a book or I'm kind of chatting at the catering table and I would bring my computer and I started working with our family's lab. And they said, look, you know, I have all these white haired chemists at the lab and they're talking over here. And they were really struggling with trying to help a client really understand the technology. And since I'd grown up around this, it was like, you know, spoke beauty as a second language. I became this sort of liaison between a brand that was launching something and me helping them to decipher, okay, here's what we're saying. Vitamin C means it's going to even your skin tone, right? And break it down that way. You're the translator for them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I started flying back and forth, um, shooting and then back at the lab. And I would just book out the days that I was going um, to the lab. And then more and more, I called my agency and I just said, I'm so grateful. And I will, if it's these clients that I love and work, you know, but other than that, this is my real passion and this is what I want to be able to do. So it was this really great training ground though, because I had these years of kind of behind the microscope, but then you have the full soup to nuts other end where you're seeing what the brand wants to see, what top makeup artists are using and being very inquisitive. Whoever I was working with, I would say, so why are you using that? You know, they might be using something for, there was one makeup artist who's using this cream that was for hemorrhoids around the eye and had this whole idea on why it was a really good choice. You're like, why are you pulling yes, that tube out? Exactly. But I wanted to know why, because perception is reality. In her mind, if there was a real effect from that cream, I wanted to understand how she was thinking about it. And that really helped dovetail this real life version of what people thought they saw or thought they understood to be true with what was actually scientifically you know, in vivo, in vitro, true. And how do we hybrid that together? And I think that's where Beauty Bio has become, um, has grown so quickly is it's this really nice hybrid of beauty, which is kind of my background and, you know, what I would say is more the fluffy, fun, you know, lipstick in this with true bioscience and being able to create something that is sort of this glossier fun meets skin skinceuticals serious in a way that is very digestible. And my favorite thing in the world is to educate and to help someone learn. I'm always wanting to learn. So I've very much appreciated the opportunity and the the feedback that we've received of, hey, thanks for letting me know. Whether you get it from our brand or not, I want you to know these five things. You know, it's really interesting because I can see it in your face and hear in your voice when we talk about like, you know, modeling or Miss Texas that 
you sort of retract a little bit. And then when we start talking about science, you know, your vocabulary totally changes and you're so excited and you're so enthusiastic. And it's interesting because I think as a society and with the, the obvious natural gifts that you've been given, maybe whether it was parents or friends or whoever is pushing you into a place of you should do the beauty pageant world and you should do pursue modeling. And in your mind, you're like, I, I know I love what you said about like, that wasn't fully stimulating for me. And really what you loved was the science side, but because you have all this opportunity from the training you've had prior, you're able to actually be the spokesperson for your brand. And because it is your brand, it's not just you're a spokesperson for someone else's brand, which I think is a, a really kind of interesting story. But you know, at what point as you're kind of going through these labs, you're producing things for other people, did you think, I actually want to have my own line? I think it was that moment where I'd had a series of these developing an amazing new raw material and someone not putting in it at the right concentration or not hearing me when I'm saying, you can't formulate a retinol and an alpha hydroxy acid together. They cancel each other out. But, oh no, that's what everyone's buzzing about. We need to put it in together. I won't touch that project. So it was that, honestly, it was probably not feeling like I had full control over the end result, but knowing what it could be that made me start thinking about it. And then honestly, it was so many just close friends saying, what should I use? Well, what would you use? What do you use? And I was making my own stuff, like no labels, <laughs> just like, well, I would compound this and this and use it. I mean, I had so many bottles in the fridge and always testing the craziest things. And it, it was just a very natural transition. And then I had, um, it was interesting because we were really the forerunners in organic technology. We were the first to launch fully certified organic SKUs. And um, helping people understand there's a difference between, you know, natural and actually CO and what is CO um, certified organic. Okay. Thank you. All my jargon, mm-hmm. um, certified organic. And that was, you know, over a decade ago before people were even there yet. And, um, HSN had seen me. I, I don't even know how they found me, Andrea, who's still my buyer today, which is so funny. And she said, we think you would be really wonderful on HSN. And this is right when HSN and QVC were exploding. So you had, you know, Paracon, Bobby Brown, Trish McAvoy, Shiseido, so many brands moving to Q, not moving away from, but in addition to as an incremental point of distribution because you have... And by Q, you mean really like, like on t- TV yeah. selling. Yep, yep, exactly. Which I'd never purchased anything. I'd never even watched an HSN or QVC yep. <laughs> before. You know, I was like, buy it online at, you know, Neiman's Nordstrom. And it was this really great forum because you have a huge audience, especially in middle America, who don't have a Nordstrom, who don't have a Neiman's, and they would love the same level of access. So I went on the first show, and if you've ever seen the movie Joy, and t- the, you're selling the mops and the whole thing, okay. you've got to watch it. You will <laughs> so enjoy it. I, I lived that moment. I actually cried when I watched that movie because you're standing on set. I have never been trained to do this. I have no idea. The only thing I know is how much I love the product that I'm selling and it was our retinol system, which is still our number one skincare SKU. And I had Diana Perkovich as my host. We had 15 minutes in prime time as our first show. And I was scared out of my wits. You have a little counter that it shows you, you sold, you know, one unit, two unit. And I thought, dear Lord, please, my mother, my best friend, please turn to one unit like someone, you know, when you start, (laughs) when you first go live. And then I had this moment where in my heart I felt this remembrance of whatever happens, you're not selling anything, you're helping. And then I started to think of the clinical trials. I started to think of these sweet women who are 
in tears. I've never been able to get rid of this spot. Thank you. I have so much more. I got the job. I'm dating this younger guy. And you start to remember that. And then you go, I can't not share this. Like how selfish of me to not share something I know that works. And we ended up selling out early in our first airing in that first 15 minutes. And we've become one of the fastest growing lines on television. And then of course we launched into retail. And it was really a crazy thing because in the beginning, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. You're, you know, trying to grow this business. I was running a $10 million business with two people, me and one other person. And I'm so grateful for that time though, because I was answering personally all the customer service emails, understanding supply chain, logistics, purchase orders, the whole back end that delivers it. Was like HSN QVC, was that the first place the product like went live? That was the first place that Beauty Bio launched with our retinol system. And because this has been entirely self-funded, I knew because I'd helped a lot of brands launch over the years, what it took to really do a brand well in retail, you need a robust field team. You need regionals. You need layers and layers of infrastructure. And obviously a lot has changed in the last almost eight years, so seven years, with even influencer engagement and visibility that, that seven years ago that wasn't there, that wasn't a thing. Um, so the great part about HSN and Q, especially at the time, was that was your only place to have this massive megaphone with one person, which was so scalable to do. And I think because I had to wear so many different hats in the beginning, it's made me a better, more empathetic CEO now because I really understand soup to nuts what operations might be feeling when we serve them an $8 million QVC order and they're trying to you know, scramble to fulfill it while they're also fulfilling something for Sephora or Nordstrom or Neiman's at the same time. And I don't know how you would lead a company any other way than understanding it from the ground up. You know, I think there's so much inspiration to be found in, in just thinking about HSN and Q for a minute. Uh, this is a place that really pulled entertainment and peer-based recommendations into a place where you could shop. Like they're the, I would say like kind of the originals to revolutionize retail. And so you had a captive audience of women usually at home who wanted to be entertained and they wanted their friends to tell them about cool new things. And so this is a very intent driven audience. And so, mm-hmm. you know, while on the one side for you, like what an incredible place to get to launch. And obviously they believed in your product mm-hmm. and, and knew that their audience would as well, but it's kind of the original influencer marketing. When you think back to the roots is like, it's, it was all, you know, for you, it was like, you have a unique story in, in your influence because it all launched at the same time. Mm-hmm. And back in 2011, that was what it looked like. And now so it's come, you know, full circle where those skills that you have there, also people are, they want to know about your life, you know, from watching you HSN and Q. In fact, they're now following you across social media and in the like to know it app. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what all are you using? What makeup are you then putting on your face? What dress did you wear to the Easter service? What are your girls wearing? What's the birthday party? And so your, your influence has actually expanded beyond because they've fallen in love with you and what you've done for them and, and through bringing skincare into their homes and making it something that's attainable. And so it's a really interesting story of really like, you know, when I think of the original roots of influencer marketing, I actually think of what, what you've done. That is wild. I've actually never thought of it that way. And I think you are spot on. And in that moment, there are multiple hosts that work day in, day out on HSN or QVC and their audience trusts them just like an influencer. And they want to know every aspect of their life, which is why you have this social proof moment. The host saying, I love this. I use this exactly like influencer marketing today. 
uh, totally valid. And then I think on top of that, there was this relationship that formed where you are in their living room in the most, you know, intimate settings of their home. And I remember when I was pregnant with Gracie, my six-year-old, I had people calling my office asking if I was pregnant, HSN customers, before I'd even told my mother. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I didn't think <laughs> I was showing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it was so sweet. And I received baby gifts, you know, when she came. And they feel a part of that journey. And I think when you think about building a brand and what does that look like, first, it's built upon the currency of trust. Because if someone can't trust you, then that's that's all you have. They're trusting that your recommendation, what you're saying is authentic. And if there's that authenticity, it breeds empowerment for the brand itself, but also for this incredible community that you're building. And then you have earned credibility as you branch out from that circle to, okay, now let's talk about this. Everyone was asking me about, you know, what's my favorite hair treatment or what's that's an opportunity to help expand for your community in an authentic way. A mutual peer of ours, um, Charlotte Jones, was recently kind of in the reward style, like to know at Orbit. And one of the things I love that she was saying is, you know, if somebody loves the brand, you don't have to convince them about the little things that, that you're, you know, selling, for example. So if somebody, for example, for her, if they're in love with the Dallas Cowboys and what they represent, you don't have to sell them the jersey. They want the jersey. And in the same way, like they have fallen in love with you and your family and, and what you've done for them. And so it's allowed you this opportunity to continue to expand into different categories of products. And, and now even people asking, like I said, you know, what your clothes, tell me about your house, tell me about your kid's birthday party. It's a great kind of model and testimony for, for other brands of why founder as brand works today and, and what peer groups are listening for. It's a competitive space in beauty. And I think you've hit on something where you have the trust of that consumer and you've done more to actually now to open up and let them into your life through your own channel. So, you know, through watching, you know, Jamie O'Banion goes live and I get like the notifications <laughs> that, you know, we can watch what you're doing and we see you traveling the world and landing in Paris and bringing your girls to London. And um, we get to, to find out more and you've been generous in opening your life up in that way so that we can see what, you know, Jamie lives and, and looks like and so that you can continue inspiring us. Oh, well, thank you. And it's really interesting you said that because I remember I was at a luncheon with uh, Zach Posen and he said, we were just chatting actually about H and because uh, the former CEO was wanting him to come and do a line. And so we were just kind of chatting about this. And he said, it's really interesting because gone are the days of the anonymous designer. And I thought, you know what? On an even more macro level, gone are the days of an anonymous, faceless brand that can really scale. Because I think years ago, before there was access, like we have access today, it was easy for a team in a boardroom to put a beautiful model with a cream and sort of dream in a bottle, really aspirational image, and it just kind of worked based upon the field team and the support that you had. But now people want to know more. They're hungry for that authenticity. And I think that allows brands that do have a founder or that passion behind it to really shine. And you're a perfect example of that as well, Amber, where you have taken what was a real problem for you of how do I aggregate all of these different platforms into something that is so useful, but being an incredible woman, an incredible mother, everyone's gone on this journey with you. And it's not just a digital platform. It's something that is a functioning tool to create access on a different, in a different way, in a different level than we've ever been able to experience that before. So 
I, I say the same back to you. It's been amazing watching your journey and, uh, a total babe with brain. The ultimate girl <laughs> boss right here. I can be on the team. <laughs> Made the team, captain of the team. So, you know, when we think about business, everybody talks about like the the beautiful birth of a business and romanticizes that story and I'm guilty of it too. And and then, you, you know, you think of like, you know, this ending, you hear about the great exits or they go public or like these things that are like the finality of, of that business. But then there's this like very messy middle to business where you don't know if it's even going to be a business tomorrow or if somebody's going to pick up your line or what their order they're going to write or if they're going to start pressuring you in prices and like, or your team, maybe you're, t- you know, you've got this like incredible team you've built and, you know, they're either out on maternity leave or there's somebody else offered them a job and is paying them more. And um, there's all of this kind of messiness in the middle. And so with you, like, what is it that you guys have kind of gone through over these last eight years that, um, you know, the highs and lows of, of your messy middle? And I'm so glad that you're addressing that because it is really easy to look at someone's highlight reel. And I remember this is when we first launched the business. I remember a dear friend who I really respect and has been very successful. He said, there will be a day where people will look at you and say, she's so lucky. It, it, it was so easy for her. Just, you know, look at how life just happened. And he looked at me and he said, I will know. And a few people who are close to you will know the sacrifice, you know, what went into to build this. And he said, so just when that happens, remember that the people that you're close to and you care about know what really went into it. And it's been interesting because I have had that where it, oh, it just, oh, she, you know, whatever the list might be. And I've had more of support. We've had the most incredibly supportive community. And I think that's because I have no problem opening it up and like being very real with, with what's going on. Um, but I think that that messy middle, and that's a great way to say it is when most people fall off. I was speaking at a tech summit, um, maybe about a month ago, and I was just pulling up some statistics from brands that had launched as businesses in 2011. And of the brands that launched within the first two years, 98% of them had petered out. And by year five, only 1% was generating over a million dollars in revenue. Only 0.01% was generating over $10 million in revenue. And then, of course, even smaller percentages beyond that. And when you look at it statistically, that is only one out of all of the businesses that launched, statistically speaking, Mm -hmm. that year. And when you look at those odds, it's like David and Goliath. (laughs) It's like, why would you launch a business? But it's not because people aren't as passionate in the beginning. It's not because they don't also believe as much as you do and whatever it is that they're doing, there's something in the middle that happens. And my personal opinion and what I think it boils down to is really um, probably three different things. I would say first and foremost, you have to have a roadmap. Back to the example of you cannot just jump off the cliff, build the plane on the way down and think it's going to hold itself together. You have to have multiple, uh, you have to leave optionality in your path forward and know, okay, if this doesn't work out, here's my plan. I do it today. I'm so trained in my brain that heaven forbid something happens, here's my backup plan, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that can be like, let's let's give just a real life yeah. example of- I have I an know. example. Okay. Perfect example. So um, I had a customer who wanted to buy 50,000 units of something. It's a lot of inventory. With this model, part of it was, okay, if we don't 
sell everything. We're going to have to take that liability. That's a financial hickey for us, right? So I had to say, okay, what they wanted was this special funky exclusive color for this set. Well, that's not what I'm selling globally. So instead of saying, yes, 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 of course, because you're just so excited, I had to step back and go, okay, in the event this doesn't all move, where can I sell it? Is it in Canada? Is it here? Is it there? Constantly thinking of the plan B to mitigate your risk so that I have a level of confidence. If this doesn't happen, how we're all fingers crossed and, you know, jumping off the cliff together, we hope it's going to happen. Here's what happens. And fortunately in that situation, we sold through and it was fine, but I knew I had zero anxiety because if it didn't, I knew exactly what was going to happen next. So it's maintaining optionality, having that clear roadmap ahead. Um, A lot of people dive into a vertical and they don't realize, oh, I just jumped into the hardest, lowest margin, you know, vertical that, that there is. So really explore the business. You know, if you want to be a donut shop owner, probably know that it's unless, you know, you become Dunkin' Donuts or they acquire you, what does that end plan look like for you, right? And if it's okay to just say, I want to net out $75,000 a year and that makes me happy, perfect. Maybe that's the perfect thing. But really taking a deep look inside on what do you want that end game plan to be or a couple of different options for what that would look like. Then I think second is... You have to have grit. Grit is one of my favorite books. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, there is, There will be a day, a time, a moment where your business is on the brink. I've experienced it. I've lived it. I remember telling um, my mother-in-law, actually, when we were just getting ready to, to launch, uh, I said, this is my entire savings going into this. If it doesn't work out, I will figure it out. But if it doesn't work, there is no this. And you press forward and you make it happen. That's, I believe everyone should have a power statement. That's mine. Make it happen. We have it on a huge wall in our office. And it's just really interesting how when those times require you to dig deep, that's when most people stop. But sadly, it's not that much harder or that much further. Like if people knew how they had made it 90% of the way there and then they, they give up. And that is so unfortunate. And I don't know... I used to think that anybody could grow their mindset. And I think that there's a, a, a degree of that. I do think that some people are probably more wired to dig deep and go. In fact, I did a really interesting DNA test, and there were some things that were there that when I was talking to my physician that were really interesting, another topic, another day. But um, And then I, I think lastly, on top of, of grit, the last pillar is you have to be passionate If you do not have enough fuel in your tank, when the day is hard, you feel alone, you don't think you can press forward, no one understands. I mean, think about microneedling. When I first started exploring this a decade ago, because we hold the patent for this technology, it was, wait, we're going to stick needles in people's... This is the worst idea ever, right? It's genius. It's absolutely genius. You're going to do disruptive things. Reward style, disruptive, hadn't happened before, so you've got to get comfortable with leadership is lonely and you might feel a little crazy sometimes with your idea. But if you have the passion and you really believe in it, you'll be able to press forward and you'll be able to have that sustaining power during the hard times, during the tough times to really execute. So what have been those moments that you have like found hope in the business and and the, the tough times? And then also, how do you celebrate or do you celebrate? Totally. It's funny. My, I remember when I was growing up, my dad used to say, if you don't celebrate yourself, no one else will. We're going to get ice I cream or why not, you know? <laughs> and you have to do that. I'm probably 
the hardest on myself than anyone else because I always, I see the vision of what it should be next and where we should be. And sometimes you have to slow down and bring the whole team along with you to make sure that we're all marching in the same direction. And, um, you know, the enemy of, of good is better. Right. And I think oftentimes we see, which we have to as founders and CEOs, what year five, year 10 forward looks like. Um, and I really probably equate it to standing at the bottom of Mount Everest. You know, you're at base camp and you're there and you take that first, you know, ice pick up and you're going up the mountain and you look up and you're thinking, oh, you know, I have so much more that could be done to, you know, meet this peak. But you've got to stop sometimes and hang on to the wall of that cliff and look over your shoulder and look at the view and celebrate the fact that you're there. You don't have hypothermia. You know, you've made it, you've made it this far. And I think that's really important. And there are, are times where you've got to step back and look and think, gosh, it would have been a dream to be able to step on QVC's set and then to be one of the fastest growing lines. Or, oh my word, I love Sephora. It'd be a dream to be able to be in Sephora. And I oftentimes am heads down focused on, okay, what's their Q4 holiday configuration? And what can we, and step back and go, how fantastic and this community that we've built. And I think if you're a builder and you have that same mentality, you have to stop and take a look back and look at what you created and appreciate all the cracks along the way and appreciate the mortar that you put to make them stronger when you put them back together and all that you've learned and realize that the joy really is in the journey because every destination, every road mark, I want to hit 10 million, then 20 along the way, you think, oh, it's going to be so great, you know, once you get there, but there's always more. And uh, just like if you are married, the wedding day, it's all about the wedding day, the wedding day. And then once that day's over, you look back and you go, it actually wasn't those 24 hours. It was the dress fitting with my mom. It was the cake tasting with my fiance. It was shopping for bridal dresses with my sister. It was all of those pieces along the way that made that day and that moment and that whole journey special. So I think especially when we're building businesses, you have to pause and celebrate along the way. What you just said resonated so much with me because I think about, you know, Baxter and I had been dating for two years before we started Reward Style. And then we started it, and I, and I say we because he helped me get off the ground, but it was for me. It was my thing that he was helping me do. And then it started working, and then all of a sudden we had a company together, and we were growing this business together. And within the first year, I was like, hey, um, I actually didn't like sign up to have a company with my boyfriend. I just actually wanted a boyfriend, like period. Period. <laughs> and, right there. Yeah. And so, you know, when we always along the way, I would get frustrated because it's like, okay, we've been dating for three years and then we were dating for four years and then we're dating for five years and then we're dating for six years. And I was like, are we going to get married? Are we like, what, right. what is this? And, um, and along the way, Baxter would be like, well, once we hire like some good engineers, oh, yes. we'll be able to take the vacation. And like, you know, then once we start Honeymoon, being able to pay ourselves, yes. we'll do these things. And, yes. and then, yeah, once I, you know, am able to buy a house, then we'll X, Y, Z. And there was like always these, like these milestones mm -hmm. to hit in life before we could move on with our life. And that was always so frustrating to me. And, and I think finally, ultimately what ended up changing was we'd, we'd been dating for six years and we had hit so many of those milestones and it didn't unlock anything. It was just another day because we had our, we had been climbing that mountain and then we still had more to climb. And so it's not like we just stepped off the train at that moment. Like it, it continued. And actually every day, what I found is every day is more complicated than the day before. That's such and a so true statement. It will never be easier than it is at this moment. 
And so, you know, putting off celebration is something that we've been guilty of and we've been really trying to incorporate into our life. But you said something the other day that just made me smile. And you said, you know, we closed this round of funding and I was, I'll let you tell the story. Yes. Well, oh, this was hilarious. So we have been self-funded all of these years, which has its own great pieces that you have full control, no dilution. And, uh, you know, fortunately we've been able to build strong cash flow that we've been able to grow and sustain the growth. Cause that's the other challenge with growth is if you're growing faster than your receipts to fund it, that can be problematic. So fortunately we've been able to, to grow. And then we have all of this opportunity in front of us that I was saying, Oh, I know Duglas wants to launch. They're kind of like the Sephora of Europe, but I really need a bigger team in place. And we decided, okay, it's probably time to, to raise. So going through the process, which is another full-time job on top of, you know, running the business and meeting your pro forma and um, meeting, it's kind of like speed dating, you know, meeting with all of these different private equity groups. And we decided to go private equity and not venture and really honing in on who can be the most helpful, really wanting it to be smart capital and feeling uh, totally aligned with the partners and what our needs were and where they could uh, be most helpful. So we went through this entire process and uh, my husband had just closed his own series B in his venture. So I'm actually grateful that we're both in this crazy stage of life. <laughs> I'm like, honey, how boring would it be if I just wanted to like stay at home all day and was really craving a lot of human adult dialogue at the end of the day. Like, aren't you happy that we can both be in our data room separately at the same time? <laughs> so funny. Um, so I took off uh, for Paris because I had a meeting that I had to do. I was on the ground for four hours for this meeting. And then I channeled over to London because we had an event for Harrods and then um, a Q show. And I didn't sleep at all on the flight because we were still, you know, how it, when you're closing around, it's always there's some last minute something, whether it's a SIG page or, you know, whatever, there's always something going on. So I had to be accessible. And of course, right when I was closing my eyes, it was like, we're now approaching Charles de Gaulle, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, we got there, landed and uh, having these, this trademark, you know, dialogue I was having, you know, this team and, you know, get on the channel, head over and I'm back and forth with my attorneys and, you know, Melbourne, I'm like, honey, are you, you watch for the wire to come through once it's all funded and done. And so comes through, I'm on the channel, my Wi-Fi is like in and out, you know, and I said, just screenshot it for me so that I know that it's done and, you know, it's, it's done. So he did. And by the time it all came through, I'd already arrived at the Q studios. It was almost midnight because you kick off your shows at midnight. Though they have, they did have this lovely all organic cafeteria, totally closed. The only thing that was open was a vending machine. So here we are, I'm opening up the screenshot and I cheers with a Twix bar and a Diet Coke from the vending machine, <laughs> the fanciest meal. So funny, but that's just life. And I think that's where for me, it's as big as it grows, as big as it doesn't grow. I am so happy that we've already been able to achieve this growing community. And that for me, I mean, I remember when we launched at Harrods in London, um, both of my little girls and my son too, but men are expected to go out and and do this. So I really, especially for the girls, want them to know that, hey, there are multiple paths. If you want to be an equestrian writer, awesome. I'm going to be so happy for you. I just want you to be passionate, you know, a writer or whatever. And they ran over to our beautiful blush display and they said, mommy, it's our brand. And it made me cry because it wasn't mommy's brand. It was our brand as a family. And that's what it's all about is building something that I hope 20 years from now, when we're 
walking through Harrods, maybe they're running the brand and it's their thing that has continued forward and hopefully building a legacy and something that is beautiful today and even more beautiful tomorrow. Okay. So I wish we had more time because I feel like we have a million other things to explore, but I want to get something from you for the moms that are listening that have little kids. You have three, three Mm -hmm. and you know, of course they have their unique needs as mm-hmm. well. And then you're married and have a husband who has his unique needs. Totally. And so let's add the, that basically add the fourth child. Exactly. Um, but you're traveling all over the world. You're running a business, you're running a team. You've been doing it by yourself up to this point. Um, and, and now, you know, w- I say with a partner because now you have partners in your business, mm-hmm. but you're still doing it by yourself. What is like your tips for moms who are either want to be part of this or are in this world and are like, how do I make this work with my family? It's a really tough thing to do. So true. And I think I would say two things that for me were major internal game changers. First was probably maybe five years ago. I remember hearing myself say to the children before I left, and I always try to keep my trips as short as possible, land at, you know, seven in the morning and you're up. 9am you're on, you know, take the last flight out that day. And it's a, a little crazy. And we'll talk about, you know, balance. But briefly, I heard myself say, I'm so sorry, mommy has to go to XYZ, New York, wherever it was. And I got on the plane later. And I thought, why did I say that? Did Melbourne, my husband apologize when he had to go to San Francisco yesterday? Of course not. That'd be so weird. He was like, sorry. No, he's providing for our family. I'm helping to provide and build for our family as well. So why do we feel this need to apologize? And the challenge is by apologizing, you're intimating that you've done something wrong. So I have these little girls and my son who are now hearing, I'm doing something wrong. So I'm going to apologize for it. I hope you can forgive me. And like, what's the deal with that? We have to stop that as women. I pray to the core of my being, that my children have something that they're as passionate about as I am building this brand and helping to democratize great clinical skincare and helping people feel more confident and get rid of some of these things that might be, in some cases, debilitating to them. I don't care what it is. I just would love for them to have equal levels of passion. So why would I, without knowingly, be discouraging something that they're seeing that I'm passionate about. And we as a family are passionate about. And it really reframed this whole dialogue for me. So now if I have to leave, for example, I was in New York yesterday, took the 6am out, took the 6pm home. And which I love being in Dallas because it's two hours (laughs) in New York, two hours LA. It's so great. Direct everywhere. And before the kids left, my son had a little humanities test. Aubrey had a spelling test. Gracie just had to like kill it in kindergarten, right? (laughs) But I just said, okay, you guys, Benton, good luck on your humanities test. You're going to rock it. You did so great. We were studying last night. Aubrey, you've got this, you know, popped in a couple of word reminder for Gracie, high five. Okay. Mommy's going to go to our meeting today. And then we all gave each other a big high five and hug. We have a little song that we sing and that we all helped, you know, we made up together and then we were gone out the door. So it reframes, you're going to go to school. I'm going to go to work and can't wait to hear about our day Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And now I have found, and maybe I just lucked out, but I have really well-adjusted kids and they're really sweet and really helpful. And they think outside of themselves. I mean, here's my sweet son sending me a text saying, good luck on your show, mom. I hope you do great. Like so so sweet. sweet. I don't even know that I would have been that thoughtful at that age. And, um, I hope that's because they feel a part of this. And with my husband, 
Um, my initials are J-O, Jamie O'Banion, his are M-O, Melbourne O'Banion. So we made up this thing, Team Mojo, Melbourne <laughs> O'Banion, Jamie O'Banion. And we always laugh about it because it's like, he's got the kids taking them to school one day when I'm out of town. I'm taking when he's out of town and we just high five and, and make it happen. And I think as long as you're on the same page as a family and it works for you, that's all that matters. So you recently told me something very practically that I've applied to my life and found such to be a useful piece of advice. And I had asked you about like, how do you spend time with your kids when, you know, if you go to work in the morning and then you come home at six, let's say, um, which is er much earlier than I used to ever come home before children, but then they go to bed at seven 30 and you have an hour and a half time with them. Like, how are you like rationalizing that? Or how, how are you doing that? And I think you said something, you were like, I have found moments to be involved in their life. And you talked about like, there's a certain day that you pick the kids up from school and there's a certain day that you drop them off at school and having kids in a business requires a team around you. So there's other people doing these things for you at different periods, but that you've carved those days out and that you protect that time specifically. And then you also, I said, what about like all the volunteer? I mean, you have ki three kids in school, all the things that they're asking you to do as a parent. Bring the cupcakes for the Valentine's party and all, yes. And, and I th there was fantastic advice from you there too. And you said, look, to go for me to go to a PTA meeting, my kid that doesn't provide direct value with of me with my child. But when they say come bring cupcakes for Valentine's Day, I actually get to be with my child and they see me pouring into their life. And so that's what I'm going to choose in order to to serve their school and their organization. And I've applied that with Birdie. And now on Mondays, the team knows I take her to ballet in the morning and you cannot schedule meetings before 930 because I'm at ballet with Birdie and th same thing on Tuesday. And, you know, the way that I'm able to help the class is at midnight. I can find their costumes for the play when she already asleep and I'm not bothering anybody at work. And I think that's something that's so practically I was able to just employ in my daily life that I would encourage other moms to think about like, what are those key moments that you can just kind of carve out and, um, and really enjoy the time with your kid? I love that. And I appreciate you sharing that and I'm glad that that was impactful. And that's what it's about. You have some, something that I want to learn from and that's, I love this forum so we can share and I'll help be better, but I think it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think we do that as women. It's like, if I'm not there every day dropping off forever, then I just can't. That's not true. Work what, you know, makes sense for you. And my philosophy, my litmus test is if it does not directly add value to my children, I will have someone else do it. For example, we need toilet paper at the house. They don't care who grabs it. So if I can have someone help me with that piece and then I can spend that 20 minutes on a conference call that maybe might have a greater value add to the business, awesome. But hey, I'm happy to grab it on a Saturday if I'm not working. <laughs> it's just we, we make it work and... Um, the, the moments that are most important to your children, they'll share with you. And I do the same thing. I carve it out. This is it. I will not go come heck or high water. I will be there for that performance. And I've had to say no, even if it's a, here's a $3 million show. I have said no. I said, I'd love to do another day, but I can't. And if you don't protect it, the years go by, the minutes go by, and you have to carve it out and put it in your calendar physically as important as any other meeting, because as moms, it's more important, but we start to give and slip around. And I think that, that for me, that's been really helpful. Jamie, thank you so much Aww, for being here. There's so you. much rich advice. Oh my gosh, so many quotables and all the tips Aww. and all the things. And I think that um, what I hear so much from our clients is just that they appreciate having somebody that's showing what it's like to be a working mother, but that the struggle they have almost primarily internally totally with internal. dealing with that. And so I think so much of this is gonna be really helpful. Oh, I'm so glad. Wonderful, oh, thank, thank you for you. having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Like to Know It Influencer Radio. Learn more about Jamie and her beauty company on beautybio.com and follow her at Jamie O'Banion in the Like to Know It app. 
The Like to Know It app is the only place where you can go to search for products and get 100% shoppable results, all in the context of the lives of real, influential people who use those products. Search for products like trench coat, over-the-knee boots, stroller, white marble table, and get results from real people who use them. Like to Know It product search gives you an incredible contextual experience that cannot be found anywhere else. Join our community by downloading the Like to Know It app on the App Store and Google Play.